Welcome to Single Mom Stories with Kelly Travis, a show that brings you stories and conversations about life as a single mom, the mess and the beauty and everything in between. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Single Mom Stories podcast. I have another wonderful guest today, and I am so excited for you to meet her. So before we dive in, just want to remind you that there's a little section where you listen to your podcast where you can rate and review. And if you've been enjoying these conversations, please give a rating, maybe a review if you feel up to it. It helps other people find this podcast, other parents, other single parents, people who just feel connected to these conversations. If you don't feel like it, fine. That's cool. (laughs) I still love you and I'm so glad you're here. Okay. Let's talk about our guest for today. Her name is Helen Hicks and she is a single mom. She is also a professional counselor. She's been in the behavioral health field for over 25 years. She's owned and operated her own private practice for 12 years. I love having conversations with people in the mental health field because we can dive even deeper into some of this stuff, right? Which is what we did. In addition to her work experience and her education, she's a mother of five sons, single mother of five sons. She brings all of her knowledge with her into her sessions, in her conversations relating to being a single parent, a happily married person, an unhappily married person, a divorced person, a grieving daughter, the parent of adult children, the entrepreneur, the ambitious, career-oriented. All of these personal experiences come into our conversation and into her work with her clients. I really enjoyed hearing from Helen. She has quite a story, one that definitely, when you hear her and she talks about it, like everyone who's been on this podcast and like you, she's very resilient and strong and doesn't give up and does what she needs to do to keep on going. And that's why I love these conversations. They are inspiring. They're educational we feel connected. And I'm so grateful for everyone who is on here and who listens. So thank you. All right. I'm going to stop talking and let's hear from Helen. Well, hello, Helen. I am so excited to have you on the Single Mom Stories podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk to you. You're a mom of five kids, which I complain about two on my own. So I just cannot wait to get into this with you. (laughs) You're a hero in my eyes. Thank you. (laughs) Can we just jump in and, and maybe you can walk us through your story and I'll interject when I have some questions. Okay. So, um, I was 19 and in college when I got pregnant was my first one. And so, of course, I moved back home. <laughs> and then his father and I, we tried to work things out. Almost two years later, I had my second son with him. At that point in time, he decided he did not want to be a father and he was going his own way. So, okay. Four years later, I got involved with someone else who got married, had my third son. <laughs> <laughs> And then we divorced for just, there were some abusive tendencies that I will say. Um, So we divorced because of that. And then, gosh, eight years after that, I remarried and um, had two sons with that spouse. And we've been divorced for about five years now. So a lot of parenting time has been as a single mom. Yeah, I would. The majority, it sounds like, right? Especially since the first two children were with the father who didn't even want to be involved. So can we go back to that first? So you're 19. It sounds like you were together at the birth of that child and maybe for a little while longer. When I first went to college, um, so I was born and raised in California. And I went over to the East Coast to start college. And that's where I met him. So his home was East Coast. Yep. So then when I found out I was pregnant and everything and I left school at the end of the semester, I went back home to California. It wasn't until after our first son was born that he went out to California and we tried to make things work. Okay. So um, he wasn't even present for his birth. 
And then when my second son was born, you know, I told him in the morning, hey, I'm going to the hospital. This is it. And he was just like, okay. Wow. Were you expecting that? No, I, I really kind of thought that he'd want to be there to see, you know, his second child be born. He missed the first one, you know, maybe, yeah, you know, be more involved or interested if he had that experience. But he was just like, okay, let me know how it goes. Send me a picture. <laughs> wow. So at that point, were you kind of like, okay, this is obviously not going to work? Or did you try after that? No, at that point in time, it was really clear that a relationship wasn't going to work at all. It was just a matter of trying to see, is he going to come around to trying to be a father? Yeah. And nope, that didn't happen either. (laughs) No. And you're so young. So you're still in California. You're 21 then, right? I'm trying to do the math in my head. It's early over here. You're 21. You have two kids now and you're on your own. So how did, did you have a lot of family support? I mean, how did you get through that? So 21, I was still living at home. Both of my parents were still at home, but they were also still working pretty much full time as well. So interesting story I have to come back to. So my oldest, when he was born, he had a B-staph infection. Um, So he was in the NICU for about a week. And then he was doing so well. They said, hey, we're comfortable discharging him to you, but he hasn't had all his medication. So a nurse is going to have to come to your home twice a day to, you know, inject the medication into his IV. So at 19, my very first mothering experience is of this newborn who has his arms strapped to a board with an IV in it. And it's like, how do you work around this? And he's crying and he's miserable. (laughs) Oh my gosh. There's definitely a lot to jump into and learn very, very quickly at 19. So when my second son came along and he was healthy and I was like, okay, we don't have to do the NICU. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. So it's like, It was very rapid fire. You learn very quickly, you know, how to do all this stuff and how to juggle stuff because my parents were very much of the mindset, your kids, we're only going to watch them if you are going to school or going to work. If you want to do anything else besides that, you're taking them with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good parents, I mean, they enforced uh, responsibility, right? Wow. So how long were you at home with your parents with these two? Like, what did that look like? So actually, I stayed at home until they were roughly four and six. Okay. And then I moved out into my own apartment. And I was doing pretty well with the schedule as far as, you know, get up, drop them off at preschool or school, whichever one they were attending, go to work. And I believe my dad had retired by then. And so he would pick the boys up for me and he would hang with them and stuff. And I'd come pick them up after work. We'd go home and we'd do our thing. So obviously having children is very expensive. You were in your 20s, didn't have a college education yet. How were you sending them to preschool? So in California, where I was living, I was in Fresno, they had a program that it was basically free preschool, but the parents had to volunteer in the classroom so many hours a week okay. in order for your child to stay in the wow. program. So basically it was like they only paid for one teacher for the preschool, and then all the rest of the help for the classroom was with parents. That's amazing. Wow. What a blessing. Yes, it was an awesome program. I mean, you think about how expensive childcare is and that that is like what we struggle with so much. And you had that ability. Wow. And then you get to still be in the classroom with them and see them. That's kind of cool. Okay. So you made it work. Dad was helping a little bit. You were working. It sounds like at this point you ended up moving out east. No, um, that didn't come until many years later. Okay. But this, I'm still in Fresno, California, and I was um, still going to school. So I went to California State University, Fresno. I would always take the earliest classes. Mm-hmm. So I could be at class at like 8 a.m. and be done by noon. And then that way, either I'm getting my kids or, you know, I'm making whatever transition to go work part time, do those types of things. And again, 
always trying to be home in the evening, get them set for bed, get everything prepped for the next day. Yeah. Wow. So did you finish school at Fresno? Yes. I got my first uh, degree, my bachelor's degree in psychology from CSU Fresno. And then probably about two years in between, then I went back to school for my first master's, which is in counseling psychology at National University Fresno. And then many years after that, I went back again to <laughs> my MBA from um, Southern New Hampshire University. <laughs> <laughs> Took you a minute. <laughs> so what made you choose psychology and counseling? Okay, so... <laughs> Very interesting. So when I first went to college, I wanted to be a lawyer. And my whole idea was, hey, I have these kids. I want to protect them. I want to do something that makes the world safer for them. But then after failing two of those classes to become a lawyer, I was like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. (laughs) And then I also started thinking more about it because I attended this lecture by a female lawyer. And she was talking about how difficult it was for her to be a single mom and to be a lawyer and the long hours and just all this stuff that was involved. And I was like, eh, that really doesn't sound like what I want to do anyway. So I started thinking, well, lawyers, they only really come into the picture after the hurt and the pain and the damage has been done. Like that doesn't really help. Mm-hmm. So I started exploring psychology. And in that very first intro to psychology course, we were going through the descriptions of like the DSM diagnoses and things like that. And I hit paranoid schizophrenic and I was like, oh my God, that's my mom. Oh, wow. So yeah, my my mom had always done these weird, off the wall, very paranoid and, you know, at times delusional types of things. And nobody talked about mental health. Nobody talked about what's going on. It's just your mom's weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I saw that, I was like, ow. And I took the book home to my dad. I was like, yeah, be this, be this, be this. And he said the same thing. He's like, oh my God, that's your mom. That's crazy. No doctor in the past, nobody she'd encountered in her whole life had picked up on that. No. Um, and it's really interesting because around outside people, most outside people thought, oh my mom, your mom's so nice and she's so this and she's so that. And then at home, it was a totally different story. Yeah. Like everything just kind of came out there. So many people never saw that side of her until much later in life. I would say probably the last five or six years before she passed away, where everything was just really out there, how paranoid and delusional and stuff that she was. Yeah. Um, but prior to that, like nobody hardly ever saw it. So having learned that and then your dad confirming it, did you try to get her help or was she resistant? Oh, she was extremely resistant. Yeah. Trying to approach her. Well, she had already taken on a pattern of verbally attacking me. Okay. At this point in time, I was already her enemy. Any opportunity that she had to attack me, she would. So it's kind of like, well, you don't want to poke the bear. So it really was a matter of trying to make suggestions, but then it would still be this, how dare you say that about me? I'm your mother. Who would think of their mother this way? And blah, 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 blah. You just want somebody to put me away. It's like, okay. Wow. Were you an only child? No, no. The youngest of six. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Wow. All right. But the pattern had been with my older siblings, as soon as they were old enough to get out of the house and to take care of themselves, they did. Everybody left. So actually, by the time I was 16, the last of my oldest siblings had moved out. At some point in time, my sister came back because she had her first son and she stayed at home for maybe about a year or so. And then she moved back out. But as soon as they were able to leave, they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just happened to come back. <laughs> All right. Okay. So you learned a lot in that experience. And so did that drive you to further want to pursue counseling? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, just having that clarity yeah. of, Wow. My life makes sense because now I understand what was happening this whole time. And then there was kind of a a sense of, 
It doesn't make sense. Yeah, like who else is experiencing some form of this where it's like this craziness is happening in my world and I don't know what it is. I don't know how to describe it. There's nobody to really talk to about it. So I really got more interested in psychology and, you know, just pulling in all these courses and like, let me see this. Yeah, you just want to eat it up for sure. And then what was the addition to why, why the MBA? Because at that point in time, I had fallen into my own practice. And I say fallen into it because I didn't plan it at all. I had been working with kids in nonprofits and things of that nature. And in working with kids, you have to work with parents as well. And I had encountered so many parents who were like, do you work with adults? You know, can I work with you? Can you be my counselor? Or I know somebody who'd really, you know, benefit from you and like this, that, and the other. And so there were so many people asking, I was like, well, maybe there's something to this. Yeah. Yeah. So I started exploring and in really just kind of reaching out to insurance companies, asking questions, their response was basically fill out this application. And then before I knew it, oh, now you're a network. And now, you know, your name is everywhere. And it's like, oh, crap, I I need like an office space. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) crap. (laughs) So I was operating a business without really knowing anything about operating a business. And so I got my MBA because I I wasn't sure because I heard a lot about like organizational psychology and, you know, things of that nature where you can kind of combine business and psychology and things of that nature. And at the time, I wasn't sure what exactly I wanted to do, but I felt like MBA seems like this is some information I need. So I went that route and I chose SNHU because it was a cheaper route. You know, basically it's completely online program. I didn't have to worry about being in class. And at this time, I had all five boys at this Okay. And so I'm operating my business. I have all five boys. I'm married and that was having its own issues. (laughs) So I was like, I need something that's simple and easy. And it's not like I'm trying to go out and be somebody's CEO. So I don't need, you know, top of the line program. I just need to know what I'm doing. Perfect. That's so smart of you to take that initiative and do that to set yourself up for success. Are you glad you did it? Yes, I am. I'm glad to have that additional information. I mean, yes, I don't use everything, but yeah, no. <laughs> it's nice to know and to have a direction because I think that's what was really missing. I, I was, all this stuff was thrown at me and I was like, what is this? I, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Okay. So you, Met and married your first husband and you had a, a son with him. When was this in the timeline? 1999 is when we met. And we met early that year, probably like January or February of that year. So we met by June. We got married. <laughs> I see where this is going. <laughs> and I was pregnant very quickly after. And then probably around November. Yeah, I think probably around November was about the second or third time I had to call police to the house. And then I was like, yeah, no, I'm done with this. And because at that point in time, the police were just kind of like, well, this is a marital home. We can't keep him out. You can leave, but we can't force him out. So then I was like, okay, I'll leave. And, you know, I had some family members come and help me pick up stuff. And I left and that was it. Wow. So you didn't even have the baby yet? No. Wow. Okay. So brave, right? To just Thanks. to leave that situation knowing, thinking about your child, I'm sure, and how that was all going to unravel if you stayed, right? Oh, yeah. He had um, already showed his colors. Like I can find out afterwards that other people had witnessed him mistreating my older boys and nobody had said anything to me at all. They saw it and they told me after the fact. They're like, oh yeah, I was so concerned because I saw this. I'm like, why did you tell me? That's how it always is. That's how it always is. They tell you after. Makes no sense. So, but no, like the, the breaking stone for that was we were in the house and he had two girls of his own from our previous marriage. And so his girls and my boys were playing together and he had started some crazy argument with me. I don't remember what. And we were in the bedroom arguing and the kids were out playing. And then all of a sudden, one of his daughters started screaming. 
So he walked out and he just backhanded my son. And I was like, whoa, oh, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Mama Bear's coming out. (laughs) That was the catalyst because after that, I had, I took my boys to my parents' house and dropped them off there. And he left and I thought that he was gone maybe for the weekend or whatever, but he came back later to the house and sort of things escalated and the police were called out. And that's when I was like, okay, we're done. Yeah. So thankfully you, your boys weren't in that environment for very long. No. Yeah. Wow. Did he try to have any involvement with your son that you had together? Not much. Because of what had happened, there was enough evidence in court to have him have supervised visitation only. And he didn't like that and he didn't want that. So there was two phases of the supervised visit. First, it was at a facility and he showed up for the facility visitations um, because he was an infant. My son was an infant at the time. So he showed up for those facility ones and he was cleared to have a person of his choice (laughs) facilitate supervised visitation, which he chose his mom. And I knew he chose his mom because his intention was just leave the baby with her and he was going to take off and do his own thing. And so once visits switched over to his mom, he didn't show. Hmm. And so I told him, I was like, I'm not leaving him with your mom because the visits aren't for her. They're for you. So if you're not showing up, I'm just reporting it to the court that you're showing up and that's it. So he stopped visiting and he didn't see him again until he was around three. And around the time that he was three is when I moved from California to the East Coast. There was an issue that I had to negotiate with him because he had put into our divorce that I could not move without his permission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So you're so, yeah, so um, I had to get in contact with him, even though he'd had no contact for three years. And um, I still had to negotiate with him. And part of that was to pretty much reduce his child support. That's what he was interested in. Well, if you take this much off my child support, then fine, you can go. And at that point in time, then he started showing an interest and, well, can I see him in the summers and this, that, and the other. So he did summer visitation for a while until my son got old enough to be like, yeah, no, I don't really want to do this. Yeah. It's like a stranger every summer, probably. Yeah. And he didn't make an effort. You know, he would fly him out there, but then all the rest of his family would be with them, but he wouldn't actually be with them. Yeah. Wow. How have you navigated it? We'll get to your other two sons, but in thinking about these two relationships and how those fathers really have not been involved, how have you as a mom navigated those conversations with your children? Because I'm sure a lot of women experience this, especially if they have the majority of the time with their kids and dad isn't involved. Can you speak to that? So how I explained things to him was, this is my experience with your dad. And I completely understand that different people can have different experiences with the same person. Mm -hmm. So if you have a different experience with him and it makes you want to have a better relationship with him than what I have, you're more than welcome. You know, that's your dad. You're allowed to love him. You're allowed to like him. You're allowed to enjoy his company. You're allowed. I don't want you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's how I put it there because I, I know it's damaging for children to feel put in the middle of their parents. That if I like this parent, then that parent's upset. And I never wanted to put them in that position. So I told them, you know, these are my feelings because it's my experience. But you can have totally different feelings and totally different experiences. That's up to you. If you tell me you want to see him, fine, go. You can see him. I'm not going to stop you from seeing him. You want to call him on the phone? Fine, I'll dial the number. But I don't want to be on the phone. I don't want to be at the visit. You know, you guys have to navigate that yourself. Right. And then was there a time when your boys started to realize that their dads weren't present? And how did those conversations go? 
So interesting enough, my second son, he never liked his dad. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. Like even from an infant, he was he was such a good baby. He hardly ever cried. But when he came around, he would scream his head off. Mm, they, they know. They know. <laughs> yeah. So for that second son, he never liked him. His dad was never able to win him over. So the older he got and the less his dad showed up, he was like, whatever, I don't care. And out of all of my sons, he probably formed the strongest bond to my father. Okay. And it was really hard on him when my dad passed away Yeah, because he had formed more of a father, you know, relationship with him. So he didn't really care that his dad wasn't in the picture. My oldest struggled a lot more. My oldest, it was... I would probably say he was early 20s before he finally gave up trying to, you know, show his dad that there was something worthy about him that his dad should want to be involved. And, you know, all I could do was let him vent, let him cry, you know, be there. It was never and I told you so and, you know, any of that because it's it's the worst. Yeah, (laughs) no, that's not helpful. But, you know, I kept trying to encourage him that, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're great. You have all these wonderful qualities. It's him who can't see them. He can't get past his own issues to show up for you. So it, it was a lot of counseling work too with my son and trying to help him and he went through some periods of depression and, you know, valuing himself and difficulty with his self-worth and things like that because of that lack of relationship. So that was a hard thing to see and to experience with him. My middle son, he's he's always been more jovial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, he's always been a very lighthearted. Like you. I feel like you're like that. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. But um, he's kind of let it roll off his back. Yeah. And I remember he was about 14 when we sat down and he was like, Mom, I just don't think my dad is a good person. And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Thanks for handing me that to deal with. (laughs) So, you know. I had to validate. It's like, okay, well, you know, what makes you feel that way? I know what my experience is, but what makes you feel that way? (laughs) And so we talked about it and I was like, okay, you're allowed to have that experience. And, you know, any point in time down the line, you change your mind and you want to try again. You're allowed to do that too. So he's like, okay. And so he didn't see him for a number of years. And then when he was 18, we had him and I had a, a big fallout. And then, of course, he went to his dad to rescue him and they tried to reconnect or whatever. And it didn't really, really happen. Wow. So your older three are 28, 26, and 22. Yes. And then you have the 14 and 11 year old. Yes. So, okay. So you get permission <laughs> to go to New Jersey. Why did you want to go to New Jersey? Well, first, I actually went to Pennsylvania. Oh, Pennsylvania. My older two boys, their grandmother, so their father's mom was in Pennsylvania. And I had reached out to her and she said, yeah, come here. I'll help you, you know, with the boys, that sort of thing. And so it was a working, you know, relationship for a while. And then I wound up moving to New Jersey when I met my most recent husband. Okay. And that's when I moved to New Jersey. (laughs) So what drew you out east? You just wanted to change? I wanted to get far enough away from my first ex. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> because there were still a lot of random calls of, you know, I'm going to show up at your door. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I was just like, really? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So you are in New Jersey. You meet your second husband, ex-husband. How is that? Because at this point you have three kids. Mm-hmm. And we all know that like starting a relationship as a single parent is very hard. You have three kids. You're in a new place. What was that like? It was chaotic. I look back on it and I'm like, wow, how did I survive that? Yeah. I would get up at 5 a.m., be at the gym by 5.30, come back, get the kids up, get them ready for school, get them off to school, 
And for the first year of being on the East Coast, I was with my students and I just had their other grandmother that would help after school. But then after that, my dad had moved out here and he okay. helping me with the boys again. So I get them off to school and then I would go to work. And I believe at that time I was working two jobs. So I had my first job of working in a group home as a therapist there. And then I would leave that job to do in-community therapy. Mm -hmm. And then I go home. My dad usually gave them dinner. And then I would check homework, make sure they got their showers and they're ready for bed. And then after I got them in bed, then I would connect with my ex-husband, you know, so that we could go out on a date or hang out yeah. or do something. And then here I am coming back at, you know, like midnight oh my and I got to get back up at 5 a.m. again. Wow. I don't know how you did that. Like now that I have two children, I just want to go to bed when they go to bed. <laughs> like, nobody's seeing me after eight o'clock. <laughs> no, I understand. That's a lot. I, yeah, that's why I said I don't know how I, I look back and I'm like, how did I do that? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so did you get married quickly like the first one or this one took longer? No, this one took longer. I did learn. Okay. I mean, you don't know, so <laughs> I have to ask. No judgment here. It's okay. No, but no, we, um, so we dated for about three years before. So I'm trying to figure this out. I think we dated for two years and then we moved in together. And then a couple of months after moving in together, my father passed away. Mm. And that was so hard on me because my dad was my best friend and it was just tragic for me. Yeah. And so I got pregnant with our first son together prior to us getting married because in my head, I couldn't find that motivation to keep thriving basically yeah. after the loss of my dad. And I was just like, and in my head, I was like, the only thing I live for is my kids. <laughs> and so at that point in time, I was like, I'm up for having another kid. <laughs> Give me something to focus on. This and, seems like you know. a Band-Aid. <laughs> the things we choose as solutions sometimes, yes. <laughs> you know, but I tell people all the time that, you know, none of us are truly, truly, truly self-destructive. You know, we really want what's best for ourselves. And so we make those decisions that in the moment feel right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. How was that transition for the three boys, you all moving in together? I'm trying to find the words of how to describe that because there was so much, I guess I can just label it as transition for the yeah. boys. And I feel like they just kind of alternated through who didn't like him at the team. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, this one likes him, but the other two don't. And then now this one likes him, and the other did. And it's just kept swirling around until, you know, ultimately it came to a whole consensus. I was like, okay, none of them like him. Hmm. That would be hard. Yeah. And it was a matter of, here's this single guy who didn't have any kids of his own. He really didn't have any parenting experience or even experience being around young children like this. And he had his perceptions of what parenting meant and what it looked like. And he tried to implement his view, despite me saying, mm -mm, it don't work like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he wanted to pursue his idea of what should or shouldn't happen. And that's ultimately what pushed the boys away because he wasn't receptive to what they were saying. He wasn't receptive to what I was saying. You know, he was trying to bulldoze his way through what he thought was the right thing to do. Yeah. Okay. So a difficult few years in the house and you had two children together. Yes. Yeah. And then how long were you all together before you split? So we were together a total of 12 years. We we're married for nine. So is it Good chunk of time. So that dynamic with the three boys continued that whole 12 years. Oh, wow. That would be challenging. I mean, it got to the point where the older boys just avoided him yeah. as much as possible. And, you know, they just tried not to interact with him. If they wanted or needed anything, they would just come to me. 
And, you know, if he said something to him, it's mostly like an eye roll. And then they'd be like, mom, do I have to? Yeah. <laughs> so again, how did you navigate that? Because you did it so well with the other two, with their fathers. Now they're in this situation. You're living together. So there has to be some element of respect, right? But also we can see why this would be challenging for them. What kind of conversation did you have with them? So the conversations basically were, okay, here's the outlining of respect, you know, that has to take place. I didn't ask them to withhold their opinions, you know, like, hey, if he says or does something that you don't agree with, you absolutely have the right to speak up for yourself. Yeah. Um, because at this point in time, they're old enough. How old were they at that point? Teenagers? I'm trying to think. At the time we got married, I believe my oldest was 12. So there's 12, 10, and 6. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the, my 12-year-old was very vocal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's all grown. He can <laughs> make his own decision. <laughs> so, and, of course, they butted heads the most and the strongest because out of all of my kids, he's definitely not the one to pull punches. Yeah. So that was the hardest dynamic to navigate because my ex, he didn't want to pull punches. My son didn't want to pull punches. And they had on several occasions gotten very close to coming to blows. It was a very difficult thing to you. And so what I tried to do with my son is, all right, if your only option is to just not interact with him as much as possible, if there are activities you can get involved with, there's other things that you can do, get yourself out of the house as much as possible, you know, minimum amount of interaction, because he didn't need much for my ex to do for him, you know, because I spent so much time as a single parent already. Yes. He knew how to cook, you know, he, he knew how to get his own food, he knew how to do his laundry. I bet that that was part of the challenge, don't you think? Like they were on their own so long with you that they kind of saw this person as like, I don't need him, right? It, he could have been like the amazing, this amazing person to them. And they still would have been like, yeah, but I can do all this by myself. I don't need you. We're independent. I mean, I feel like that's part of being raised by a single mom. Yes, absolutely. There were times where, you know, my ex would make dinner and they would be like, I can do better. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. So you're absolutely right. There is that element where they're like, why are you here? Yeah. You know, and it came to a perception of, okay, you're here for mom. You're not here for us. Right. So just leave us out of. <laughs> yeah. I have to imagine that happens a lot just because it changes the dynamic. You know, when you're with, if I think about my, I have two boys and I think about like, they just, Think of us as three, right? We are like a family of three. They have a hard time envisioning any of uh, the outsiders, right? And I can imagine like as you get older that they take on that, like, but it's my job to be in this position, right? Right. I once read about or heard Obama talk about, because he was raised by a single mom and how he stepped in and he kind of was like, you know, boys especially kind of take on some of the manly duties, right? The traditional or help in some way. And he talked about that, like he kind of identified in that way. So such an interesting dynamic. Definitely. You know, they're definitely out there protecting mom and <laughs> yeah, you can't do this to my mom. You can't treat my mom this way. And yeah, and that was another dynamic, you know, that came into play as things were falling apart in that marriage. And they saw the tension between us and, you know, the arguments that would happen. And then they would get their backs up and just be like, you can't, you know, that's my mom. And, you know? <laughs> yeah, you got five boys looking after you. Wow. So how long have you been divorced from your second husband? It's been about five years now. All right. So you've been on your own for about five years. Tell me, we haven't even gotten to this. Let's jump into favorite stories. Like, tell me some of your favorite memories because you've shared so, like, now we have this picture of your life and what it looked like. And thank you so much for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. Because I think throughout the pieces of you sharing, there were so many lessons. But let's talk about like stories that make you smile and you look back on. Okay. 
So um, I, I don't know how far back I want to go. I <laughs> <laughs> was probably one of my earliest memories that have always stuck with me. And it's when I only had my first two boys and they were like two and four. And, you know, I had made all these arrangements. We're going to do this photography shoot and this, that, and the other. And I got them dressed and I went to go get dressed and they went outside and played in the mud. Perfect. That's exactly what. <laughs> and you can laugh at it now. <laughs> the thing was, I there was, you know, you have that moment where you want to scream and you want to be like, yeah. And I kind of was like, nope, I'm not doing it. And I just took off my shoes and I just went and played in the mud with them. Aww. I was like, this is what we're doing now. And I called, I canceled the photography shoot. I was like, nope, it's not happening. No. I love it. So like, that's one of my earliest favorite memories of just you give into the moment instead of just fighting against it all the time. Just give into the moment. That's what was important to them at the time. Let's do it. Let's play in the mud. Yeah. <laughs> so and I think I, another memory that I, I wrote you uh, in regards to is when with my older three boys were my middle son, who was about five. And so the other two were um, nine and 11. And we had a tradition that, you know, that was our family time. And every Friday night, you know, I would get off work early and we have fun after school and we go see a movie. They get to sing and play and, you know, all these other kind of things. And part of our tradition was after the movie, we got from the car and you talked about your favorite character and your favorite scene in the movie. And so my five-year-old at the time he was talking and then he had mentioned something about um there's a gross part in the movie and he related it to how this little boy in his class was gross because he ate his boogers and i kind of reminded him i was like well you know sometimes you eat your boogers yep and he just like he was so offended and he was like (laughs) (laughs) oh suddenly he had grown up and he was not (laughs) Oh my God. So hilarious. And everybody just broke out laughing. And it was just like the greatest moment. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I just love being able to look back, right? And to be able to capture some of those memories and tell them to our kids so that they can have them stored away as their stories. How have you been doing for the last five years? You have five kids now on your own. What are some of your challenges? Well, moving out was a challenge of its own because, you know, New Jersey is very expensive for no good reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, at the time, my oldest was about 24. So I actually had to ask him to stay at home, you know, so he could help me out financially and with his little brothers. That he did. He, he was very happy to stay at home and to help me with that. So that was an adjustment of having him be at home and be for the first time ever truly in a partner type of role, Um, you know, me needing him to do these certain things and to support in a certain way. So that was an interesting dynamic because of course for him, he's like, well, I'm an adult you know, helping out here financially. I'm doing this. I should have these rights and these freedoms. And I'm still like, well, hey, my house dude. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That would be an interesting. So yeah, that was a, a bit interesting until we got to the point of, okay, I'm good financially. You're obviously ready to do your own thing. You go do your own thing. And then also during that time is when I had to blow up with my middle son where he turned 18 and he was just like, well, I'm 18. I can do whatever I want. And, you know, you're not going to say anything because I'm 18. And I'm like, well, you can do so wherever you want somewhere else. Yeah. So that was a, a hard dynamic because I didn't want him to go. His brothers didn't want him to go either. But it was at a point where I can't accept this behavior, though. You're using my house like it's your hotel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at that point in time, it's a hard transition because there hadn't been that type of tension and that type of disrespect, you know, ever. And so he was the first one to kind of go there and to do that. We've since mended our relationship, and I'm happy to say that, you know, he calls me all the time. Good. <laughs> <So>. Good. <laughs> But 
that was hard to transition, you know, into. And then now that it's just me and the two little ones, that's another transition because since I was 19, my oldest has been there. You know, he's been a part of my life. And not that I've ever regarded him as a partner, because I know that's happened with a lot of single moms that they kind of latch on to, you know, their oldest. And that I never felt that way. But it's been strange to walk past his room and he's not in his room, you know, to be downstairs. And he would be the one to always eat the leftovers in the fridge. And now to open the fridge, like, we have leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a lot of different transitions that have happened, just like very casual things that you wouldn't necessarily point out immediately, but have definitely come to my awareness. But as far as like financially, things of that nature, I had already gotten stable, you know, prior to him moving out, which was part of the conditions of him moving out. (laughs) Um, But adjusting to pandemic and working at home, having kids at home who are doing school at home and everything is at home. That almost drove me crazy. Yes. Likewise. Likewise. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. And then you're a counselor. So you've been just inundated, I'm sure, with all of the heaviness of what's happening in the world and continues to happen. So how are you taking care of yourself? Okay. So um, she's gone there. (laughs) I started this like years and years ago, back when I had my three sons, because it was imperative. It was just like, I'm constantly going and there's like rarely any time for myself. So I think my youngest may have been about four. So the oldest three were like four, eight and 10. And I made a sign because they were all able to read at the team. I put a sign on my door. Unless someone is dying or this building is on fire, do not knock on this door. (laughs) (laughs) And they followed that? Mm -hmm. Oh, I could see my kids just knocking because that's what they would do. Nope. They absolutely followed it. They knew that whenever that sign was on the door, you know, they would tell each other, like, shh, you know, mom, mom's doing, you know, whether I was taking a nap, I was watching the TV, I was reading a book, it didn't matter. It was my time. Yeah. And they respected that it was my time. And part of how I presented it to them was, hey, guys, do you like nice mommy or do you like mean mommy? Probably like nice mommy. Well, in order for me to be nice mommy. I love how your counselor comes out when you talk to your kids. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. At this point, it's just me. It is. How I am. Yeah. You know and sometimes they're like, don't therapize me, mom. I was like, dude, this is how I talk all the time. You know this. Uh-huh. My um, oldest has been in therapy for about six months. And one night we were talking through something and he goes, did you just therapy me? He's only eight, but he's like picking up on the language and everything. And I just started cracking up. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. I've eaten up so much of your time. Let's close with I know you have a podcast and I know that you're working on a book, right? Yes. So can you talk about those two things? Sure. Okay. So the podcast is called What Would Helen Say? It's a recording of a full-length therapy session. I have a couple of clients who have volunteered to be a part of the therapy podcast. And the point of that is, well, it's two reasons. One, just last year alone, I had about 1,200 people reaching to me for therapy. And because of the nature of therapy, you can only talk to one person at a time. I can only help 50 of those 1,200 people. So I was trying to figure out, like, if I have to do this one person at a time, we're never going to meet the need. So I was trying to think of, well, how can I help more than one person at a time? Well, if I can record a session and just have it out there, because I know there's so much in the sessions that even if it's not specific to what a person is experiencing in that moment, there's still stuff in there that they can utilize and apply and help them in that moment. It's definitely not a replacement for people getting their own therapist, but I know there's so many barriers to people accessing that service anyway. So if it's easy 
for them to, you know, turn on the podcast, listen, write some things down. I do have an option for you to access notes and more skills of how you can do these things for yourself. But just listening, I know just listening will help so many people. So that's there for people. The book, I wrote a parenting book and it's called The Parenting Treatment Plan. I have a literary agent and I'm seeking publication at this time. So hopefully that'll be out in bookstores. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So um, this parenting book is different because, and I did my research out of the books that I checked into and I looked, no one clearly identified what is the goal here of parenting. Is there a specific goal? How do you lay out that goal and how do you achieve that goal? So in my book, I outline that the goal for the parent is to become the authority figure. And once you're the authority figure, essentially you have earned your child's trust to where they hand that responsibility over to you. You no longer have to do power struggles. You no longer have to have this back and forth. There is a level of um, respect. And if you tell your child, hey, I need you to do this. Okay, because they trust that whatever reason you're telling them to do that, it's for good reason and you have their best interest at heart. So they allow mm-hmm. you to parent rather than you constantly trying to fight for the right to parent. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it makes parenting so much easier and why I have survived my sons. Yes. <laughs> if anybody knows, it would be you. <laughs> Thank you. And the other goal of parent is for the child that the child learns how to make good choices. because. That's the equivalent of our, our lives in the end. We are a summation of the choices we have made. Yeah. So if you can teach your child how to make good choices, that's everything. You, you know, when people talk about, well, your child needs to learn how to be respectful, that's in there. When your child needs to learn how to get along with others, that's in there. Your child needs to learn how to be a good person, that's in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really kind of condensing things. And the book isn't meant to replace, you know, different parenting techniques and different skills that are out there. It's really to be the foundation that people understand that no matter what you add onto this, you're always coming from this piece of it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Are you on social media at all where people can follow you? Yes. So I am on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. Have YouTube, have Facebook, and just find me under what would Helen say? I see that. Okay. So Instagram is what would Helen say too. Okay. We'll put those links in the show notes. Helen, thank you so much for sharing so much of you and your story with us. I have so much respect for you and I am so excited for you to put your book out. And I hope that you can continue to reach people and support them because you have such a gift. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful being on your show. I have enjoyed the conversation. (laughs) Good. Thank you. You're welcome. 